Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, good evening. It is a tremendous privilege and a great joy to be able to be with everybody tonight and to look at this story that Bruce just read for us um, a little more in depth. You know, the last several days, I've been in Bartlesville, which is my hometown, celebrating Christmas there with family. And these last several days have been probably like some of the Christmas celebrations that you have had with your family. There was a lot of quoting of lines from the movie Elf. Um, We ate way too much. We opened a bunch of presents. Uh, We had a great time together. I got schooled by my 10-year-old niece in Scrabble. Uh, In other words, it was a perfect, perfect holiday. Uh, had a, had a great time there, and you know every time I go back home to Bartlesville, um, I, I have these moments of nostalgia because I go back to this place where I used to live. I lived 18 years of my life there, but it's been 20 years since I lived there. So when I go home, I, these memories come flooding back to me from my time when I was there, and, and those memories remind me that I'm a different person now than I was when I lived there. There have been areas where I've changed for the positive, and there's areas where I've changed for the negative. Uh, One of the things that possibly could be categorized in the realm of the negative is that my general outlook on life has changed slightly a little more negative. When I lived in Bartlesville growing up, I was a little bit more optimistic. Let me give you an example that maybe will highlight that truth for you. Um, Back in 1984, I was 11 years old, and the Olympics were in Los Angeles. When I was watching the Olympics on television in Los Angeles, I had these dreams of one day playing point guard for the U.S. Olympic basketball team. I went so far in my dreaming on this that I I sat down and looked at a calendar of when the Olympics were going to fall, and I thought my best two shots would be 92 and 96. Uh, The reason why I thought my best shots would be 92 or 96 would be that by 97 I'd be in the NBA and professionals at that time were not allowed to participate in the Olympics. Uh, And this was my my plan. Now, I wanted to be in the Olympics at least for three reasons. One reason I wanted to be in the Olympics was because I loved America. I mean, I'm wearing red, white, and blue right now. Uh, The opportunity to play for the Stars and Bars was just very exciting for me. I really wanted to play for the United States, and that was was one reason. The second reason I wanted to play was because I loved basketball, and I I grew up playing a lot of basketball, and I had some success when I was younger, and I thought, man, I really uh, would love to play basketball for America. And the third reason I wanted to play basketball in the Olympics was because I thought I can meet Mary Lou Retton. In in 84, I thought if I could just get to the Olympics and I could meet her, then maybe I'd have a chance. Um, as an 11-year-old guy. Uh, but, but you know what? What happened over time was the more and more time went on, the more and more I got acquainted with my own limitations. The more and more time went on, the more opportunity I had to play against better competition, the more opportunity I had to lose against better competition, and the more I realized that my ceiling was going to be somewhere in the high school sports range. Uh, never to get beyond that. It might, contrary to what you might be thinking, I didn't make the 92 team because the professionals were allowed to play. It wasn't the dream team's fault. I just wasn't good enough to make the team. And, and time taught me that lesson. 
And, and the reality is that for all of us, the more we go on in life, the more we realize what we can't do, and that tends to make us a little more pessimistic, doesn't it? I mean, what did you used to want to do with your life? For some of you in this room right now, what is it that you, you want to do? I mean, you, you may not be jaded like us old people in the room. I hope that you don't have your dreams dashed as mine were. But the reality is that as we go on and live our lives, we become acquainted with what we can't do, and that causes us to shrink our expectation. And when our expectations begin to shrink, our hopes begin to shrink. And, and this is true not just in these areas of playing on the Olympic team. This is true in our spiritual lives as well. You know, as we live out our spiritual lives, year after year, we become more and more acquainted with the fact that some things just kind of linger. Some sins we still kind of struggle with. Some illnesses that just don't seem to go away. Some relationships that don't seem to fix. Some loved one who has yet to come to a saving relationship with Christ, some struggle that we're going through that was there last year and is there this year, some depression that was there last year that's there this year. And as we go on and and those kinds of things are constant and consistent in our lives, we become more and more acquainted with the fact that they're not going away at the pace that we would like them to go away. They're not getting better at the pace we'd like them to get better. And we begin to shrink our vision, and our hope of what God can do. We tend to trust God less next year than we trusted Him with this year. We trusted Him with less this year than we did last year. This is the sad reality for many of our lives. And and tonight, as we gather on Christmas Eve, here's here's my hope and my prayer for us. My hope and my prayer for us tonight is that we would walk out of this room trusting God for more than we walked in here with. For some of you, that will be trusting Him with something that you gave up praying for. For others of you, it'll be trusting God for the first time for the forgiveness of your sins that you've been clinging to yourself. But my hope is that we walk out of this room, every single one of us, trusting God more. And and the, the inspiration for that is not some fairy tale. The inspiration for trusting God more is found embedded in God's Word. It's found in the very Christmas story itself. And we're going to look at just one little part of this story, which I think will inflate our view of God and will help us to understand what He can do, and will help us to trust Him with more. In the verses that Bruce just read for us, it begins this way. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. Now, when we we hear that, we've no doubt heard it a hundred times. If you've watched the Charlie Brown Christmas story every year in your life, you have heard the name Caesar Augustus, Every year in your life, if you have come to church at Christmas time for a number of years, you have heard the name Caesar Augustus over and over and over again. But have you ever thought, who was this man? Who was Caesar Augustus? Well, Caesar Augustus was a man who was not born named Caesar Augustus. He was a man who was born in 63 BC with the given name Gaius Octavius. And Gaius Octavius grew up 
And he was very good at fighting. He was very good at being a soldier. He was very good at leading other men. And so he, at a very early age, by the time he was 18, had a role of leadership in the Roman army. And, and he was so good at his leadership, he, he garnered the respect of his uncle, who just so happened to be the dictator of Rome, a man by the name of Julius Caesar. And Julius Caesar had no children of his own, and he was so impressed with his nephew, Gaius Octavius, that he wrote into his will that Gaius Octavius would be the heir to both his material fortune as well as his political successor. Julius Caesar wrote this into his will, but he told no one of that decision. And the famous event that happened in 44 BC was that some jealous members of the Roman Senate attacked Julius Caesar and killed him on the Ides of March. And upon his death, Gaius Octavius was summoned from Spain where he was training with troops to come back to Rome and to hear a reading of his uncle's will. When he heard the reading of his uncle's will, he he found out that he had been posthumously adopted by the great Julius Caesar, and upon hearing that, he changed his name to Gaius Octavius Caesar, and he began his role as leader of Rome. A few years later, the Roman Senate, feeling bad about the death of Julius and fearing the, the uprising that was happening among the common people against the Senate as backlash to the death of Julius Caesar, decided to make Julius Caesar a god. And from that point on, Julius Caesar became known to everybody in the Roman world as the divine Julius. And his adopted son, Gaius Octavius, became known as the son of the divine. People actually called Gaius Octavius Caesar the son of God. And when you have a title like son of God, people think that Gaius Octavius is just a little bit too plain of a name. So they had to come up with a new title for him, and so they called him Augustus Caesar, Augustus meaning the sacred one. So at the time of the birth of Christ, the leader of the world in which Jesus was born into was known as the Son of God, the sacred one. Now when you have that kind of cachet, when you have that kind of power, when you have those kinds of titles... Caesar Augustus was able to speak a word, and the whole world begins to move. And so Caesar said, I want a new tax code, and I want everybody to register in their ancestral home. So everybody in the whole empire began moving, including Mary and Joseph going to Bethlehem. Now, I want you to imagine that that all of us in this room have our ancestral home in Bethlehem, along with Mary and Joseph. And I want you to imagine for a moment that you're walking along that dirt road to Bethlehem, And and the word begins to spread that there is one in the world at that time who would be known as the sacred one, the Son of God, who 2,000 years later, people would still be talking about. I want you to imagine that you're walking to Bethlehem on the night that Jesus was born, and somebody says that there is one known as the sacred one, the Son of God, who people would, would say has absolutely changed their lives. I want you to imagine that walking to Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, somebody were to tell you that this, this sacred one, this son of God, that when people would see pictures of him or, or thoughts of him or talks about him, that they would be moved 
to tears. They would reorient their lives. They would lay down their lives before him. I want you to imagine that you're walking to Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. Who are you thinking they're talking about? You're thinking that they're talking about Caesar Augustus. And yet, how is it that we even know the name Caesar Augustus? We know the name Caesar Augustus only because, as Andy Stanley has said, he is a footnote to history. He's a footnote to the story of the birth of the true Son of God. He's a footnote to the story of the birth of the true Sacred One. And the fact that you and I gather tonight, thousands of miles from the place where Jesus was born, moved in our hearts at the offering of life that Christ gives us, at the thought of his death bringing us life, at the memory of his resurrection, promising us eternity. The the, the fact that we gather tonight to remember that Son of God, not the one that's still rotting in a tomb in Rome, is proof of the power of our God. It's proof that we have a God who can still work in time and space to do infinitely, abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think or hope. See, when we hear the Christmas story, when we hear that Caesar Augustus was the leader of the world at that time, that ought to be a reminder to us of how God can turn situations completely around. The man who sat on a throne the night Christ was born is a footnote in history to the story of the one who was in the manger. The fact that Christ is who we gather to remember tonight is a reminder to us of the power of God. It's my hope that hearing what God has done, remembering what God can do, will inspire you to trust God with more in 2012 than you trusted him with in 2011. You know, there's some who are here tonight who have come here to worship with us, and we're so thankful that you're here, but but you're hearing the story of Christ, and and it's it's somebody else's story. It's, It's somebody else's story in that maybe a family member has believed this and and is here to worship, and you just come along with them. Or maybe you're here tonight just to check things out for the first time or the second time or the 50th time. But the thought is, will, will you trust God? If that's you, will you trust God with more this next year than you trusted him with last year? Will you trust him with your life, with the forgiveness of your sins? Because every year we get more acquainted with our sinfulness. Every year we have more to be forgiven of. And yet we can trust God with more and more as time goes on because we have a God who could take the baby born in a manger and make him the one we remember tonight. For others of you, I don't know what you have, have given up on. You've given up on God working in your marriage. You've given up on God working to provide the power to overcome a sin struggle in your life. Whatever it is that you've given up on trusting God for, may you remember that the one born in the manger is the one who sits exalted above all now. The God who can do that is the God who can do more than you can 
ask for more. May you and I trust him with more next year than we trust him now. You know, Jesus came, the Bible says, to be a light that was shining into a dark world. A light that shines into the world that helps us to understand life, that helps us to understand who God is, that helps us to understand our sin and our need for a Savior. And that, that image is one that we talk about, but we don't always see. And for many, many years, Christians have gathered on Christmas Eve and lit candles as a visual reminder that we can see that the God who can do infinitely beyond, abundantly beyond all that we ask or think can do that right now in our world as He shines His light through us. So we're going to conclude our service now by singing the song Silent Night and lighting candles as a demonstration of what God has done and what God will do, the light of the world. I'm going to light this candle now and invite our ushers to come forward. And I'm going to invite you to stand as we prepare to light the candles and to sing. As the guys will come down the middle aisle and light the candle on the end, then you will light the candle of the person next to you. Uh, If you are the one who's holding the candle that's not lit, you'll bend your candle to be lit by the person whose candle is lit. Silent.